This is Agents Influence Podcast. We can use technology to build a fundamentally advantaged cost structure, which will create an economic surplus. And then we take that economic surplus and we invest it in the four things we think every customer wants from their insurance experience. Transparency, convenience, low prices, and superior value. Those are the only four principles of a good insurance experience in our opinion. And all we do is take that economic surplus created by the cost advantage and invest it in those four things again and again and again and again. And that we think is the fundamental and underlying advantage or like the core mission behind ClearCover. I'm Jason Cass and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. And in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. All right, all right, all right, you loyal listeners. Welcome to another episode of Agents Influence Conversations with who? Me, Jason Cass. And today, I have a special one for you. Somebody that uh, Hanley had on, and I was listening when Hanley had him on, and I said, man, I got to get this guy on because I got certain questions that I've got to ask him. And so today we have Kyle Nakasuji on. Did I say it right, Kyle? You sure did. I mean, we in the, in the green room, loyal listeners, we have been rehearsing it over and over, and he's, he's getting mad at me. He's like, Jason, goodness. No, that's a complete lie. That's a complete <laughs> lie. No, 30 times I, at least. You know what, Kyle, though? My loyal listeners are listening right now, and they know how I butcher names. So they're actually probably applauding me is what they're doing. So so I do appreciate that very much. And Kyle, I'm looking forward um, to this conversation with you. Uh, just for you loyal listeners, we might be having another guest coming in, which is Jeff Shee. Um, Jeff has some questions. He thinks Kyle, he follows Kyle and has a lot of things and uh, thinks very highly of him and wanted to ask some questions. Jeff is in the middle of another meeting right now, so he probably is going to pop in. Just loyal listeners. Listeners, in case all of a sudden you hear Jeff start talking, that's the reason why. Um, so let's see, it says, it says it's allowing him to call in. Isn't that crazy? I've never seen this before. So, Kyle, you ready for this? I think so. I hope Dude, so. I got a, I got a lot of questions, and I, I just want to know what you do. And I've heard your name from so many people. Like I said, after I listened to Hanley, I said I got to get him on. So, Kyle, we um, do have this little thing. I know sometimes these questions, it's like where people ask these silly little questions. Well, guess what? I was doing it in 2011 before all these other people were, and so <laughs> we still keep doing it. So the things we do want to know, though, are you an iPhone or you a Droid user? I am an iPhone user. You're an iPhone user. Are you a dev guy, or are you more of a, are you more of the business admin part? Oh boy, uh, far from dev. I committed code once because they set me up in like a very idiot-proof way to do it. But that's about as far as I've gone. I'm a computer enthusiast, not a okay not a, so computer enthusiast. There you go. I like that. Yeah. So we always find that like the dev. If I have somebody on who's like part of the dev team or they're a developer, they always have the droids. But mm-hmm. if I if I usually get the upper management CEOs, they always have the 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 um, iPhone. So that's cool. Hey, um, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, the answer is yes, but uh, but I'll, so if I have to pick one, I'll say I'm going to pick hate to lose, and and only because uh, I think it's behavioral. So I think if you look at like Kahneman and Tversky, they talk about prospect theory and loss aversion. I think as humans, we are wired to dislike losing things more than we're wired to like them. So I'm just going to go with behavioral psychology and say, I hate to lose. You like behavioral psychology? I do. 
Big I'm time. like obsessed with it too, dude. I, I really am. Like it can be the boringest book to everybody else, but if it's behavioral psychology and thoughts and the way <laughs> things work, I mean, I can, oh man, I am so the same way. It um, works. It, it really does. It, it really, really, truly does. And I think people kind of play it off. And, you know, sometimes when they learn things that, that can work with behavioral um, and the way that we work and how other people work, people kind of see it as like, well, you're really kind of, you're just kind of, I don't use the word con. I can't think. You're kind of conning them into getting them to believe what you want. And it's like, no, really, it's just maybe the way we communicate now with each other is not proper. But now that we understand the brain and how it works, we could actually communicate better if we actually did that. Does that make sense? I completely agree. I don't I don't think it's um, conning or manipulation. I think it's just engaging with people on the terms that, you know, are, are, you know, are most likely to generate an outcome that's right for whatever party. Yeah, I agree to that. I agree to that. I'm trying to think of this thing. I was just, so um, Sarah Nicholas, who runs, um, is my right-hand person inside of agency intelligence. She she has a master's degree in healthcare administration, and she's got like some kind of degree as well in behavioral science. So it's really, really cool when her and I start talking. And I was talking about, have you read the book, Atomic Habits? I have, yes. <sighs> James clear. Come on now. Come on now. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah. some good stuff. I actually, Kyle, am using that book into 75 Hard. You've heard the 75 Hard thing. This is mm-hmm. this uh, this workout. So, yeah. So, I start 75 Hard on September 20th after my brain share event. But I have been working, slowly working into it rather than just going cold turkey, using Atomic Habits. That's and great. the way that he talks about to quit doing things and slide, man. He's blown my mind, and I love that kind of stuff. That's cool. You and you and Hanley, I think I think half of Hanley's Twitter feed right now is him, like just moving heavy weights around. He's so you know, you guys are both on the program. All the podcasters, we have our own little um, Facebook chat that we've had for years, and we're all hyping each other up on doing this seventy-five hard. (laughs) Oh, anyways. Yeah, it is. It's cool. I can't wait to do it. Last question, man. Um, do uh, if, if there were two things in the world that got you to where you are today at agency intelligence is what we think skill or luck, which has been a bigger factor with you, Kyle? Yeah, uh, I, I would say so. It's a it's an excellent question. There's another great book. If you haven't read it called The Success Equation by Michael Mobison. He talks about this thing called the luck skill continuum. So, right. So it's never an or it's always it's always like what combination of luck and skill is involved in success in whatever you're doing. And um, you have to ask yourselves a couple of questions to figure out where your thing is on the luck skill continuum. So like, for example, one question is, can an amateur beat a pro? In coin flipping, an amateur can beat a pro pretty easily, right? There's a lot of luck involved. In chess, an amateur will almost never beat a pro. It's almost oh. all skill, right? So like, you can also ask yourself, um, like, how skilled are the players on average? Because the more skilled the players are on average, the more luck actually has to do with winning because people are evenly matched. So you ask yourself these questions, you figure out where you are on the, the luck skill continuum. I would argue that as a startup, all the players are pretty skilled. Sometimes you see people who have never started a company before have these wild success stories. So it probably is more on the luck side than on the skill mm-hmm. side if I apply mm-hmm. these tests. And so, um, so I would say luck has a really big part to play. Our job then, our skill is maximizing the surface area you can apply your luck to. So your job is to make sure that you preserve optionality, that you hire super smart people, that you do things that have low downside and high upside. You maximize the surface area of luck and then you hope luck happens. So so the answer to your question is like, I would say more luck than skill, but we try really hard to maximize our ability to get lucky. Maximize that. I like that. So maximize that surface. That was good. That was good, Kyle. 
Wow, dude. And and once again, man, what was that book? Uh, the Success Equation by a guy named Michael Mobison. Dude, I've never heard of that. I've never heard anybody. So that's that's good. That means if everybody else isn't reading it, you are. I want to be like you, so I'm going to start reading the damn thing. <laughs> Kyle, man, take take us loyal listeners so we can relate. In two, three minutes, take us back to where you started and how you got to where you are now um, as the CEO. So I'm a Midwest kid, was born and raised in, in Milwaukee, went to, to school in Wisconsin, got a law degree and an MBA at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, didn't go to class very much. I uh, spent most of my time out in the community working with startups because that's that's what I wanted to do. And wow. uh, um, was an attorney briefly, kind of a crappy one. So a brief stay was good for all parties, I think. And then from there, was fortunate to join American Family Insurance in Madison to help start their venture capital team back in 2012. And, uh, and through that experience, was really exposed to how insurance companies run, this sort of the insure tech movement really started to build up some momentum in the 2014, mm-hmm. 2015 time period. And so we found ourselves just in the middle of this crossfire of like really smart people coming up with ideas to change the industry. And we were making some investments and building some theses on how we'd invest American families' money, one of which was on building a next generation insurance carrier. There were folks who were building things to help insurance companies. There are only a small handful of folks who will were building insurance companies of their own. And so okay. um, we were building a thesis on how to do that. And, you know, we landed on an idea that was a little contrarian at the time, which was um, building the next generation insurance company wasn't about finding the sort of silver bullet, whether that was like telematics or a different way of pricing or chatbots or what have you. It was really about building fundamental cost structure advantages because those fundamental cost structure advantages would create an economic surplus that you could then use to do many things right for customers over the span of time. In essence, the theory was insurance isn't a silver bullet game, it's a lead bullet game. And the way you win in that type of game is by having some foundational advantage that allows you to win over and over and over again. Our bet was that it was cost structure. Uh, We didn't see anybody building it. So in 2016, my co-founder Derek and I left American Family to go build that next generation insurance company. They put some money in. They were our number one supporter from the beginning. Um, fast forward to today, ClearCover is that company. We, you know, we we think of ourselves as a next generation auto insurance company that uses technology to create a better cost structure, which allows us to offer consumers a better experience for less money. And um, we're, you know, we have a very long way to go, but we've grown pretty fast. We've made some progress, and um, we're proud of where we are. So Kyle, great, interesting. I mean, to be honest with you, so much. I, I should have been taking notes, but I, I I can't listen and type at the same time. Um, so Kyle, so you're talking about this cost structure, okay? You're talking about stuff that I've done 600 of these, and no one's talking about this stuff. I, I now see why Jeff She. Remember we were talking about this earlier. He was blown <laughs> away by some of the stuff you were saying. Um, so everybody's trying to use technology, though, to lessen the cost somehow so that they can provide a better experience in that. And I'm not just I'm not mocking you. I'm just saying that. The, but I think they go out a, a lot the same way as traditional insurance companies do. They just happen to try and throw some tech in there. But mm-hmm. like, where was that different for you? And, and I, don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there, there are a couple things that. Um, you, you have to think of it differently if you're going to talk about us versus an established or incumbent carrier versus ClickRiver versus some of the other startups. On the incumbent side of the house, there are two things that we think give us a bit of a leg up. There, we have many disadvantages, by the way. So this is not to, this is not like to say we're better than them in all regards. Like these are right. two things we think we do pretty well. One is um, we got to start with a blank sheet of paper in terms of technology. 
And it turns out when you're thinking about rebuilding a cost structure, that helps. This idea of not having anything old to deal with is important. Sometimes at, at these big companies, um, not doing the old stuff is much harder than doing the new stuff. You could do a lot of new stuff, but if you don't stop doing the old stuff, then oftentimes your cost doesn't change. And if your cost True. doesn't change, then you lack that fundamental advantage. So blank sheet of paper oh. is super important. The other thing we do is um, there's this concept in the, in the market we, we tend to think of as um, digital customer cost arbitrage, which is like a fancy way of saying um, digital customers are naturally lower cost to acquire and serve than an analog customer, somebody who wants a much higher touch experience. Because frankly, you just have to do fewer things for a digital customer than you have to do for an analog customer. And so if you were to build a portfolio that was um, indexed towards or concentrated in digital customers, you are very naturally going to have a lower cost structure than somebody who has a portfolio that is heavily weighted towards analog customers. So our bet was that blank sheet of paper, and we were actually going to build a portfolio that was heavily weighted towards digital customers. Those two things would give us pretty sustainable cost advantages versus our peers who don't have that blank sheet of paper and who have very large customer bases that are weighted towards analog and are going to be hard to shift. If I think about the comparison versus a startup, it goes back to this idea of um, the uh, the concept we, we like to use is is the fox and the hedgehog. You, you ever heard the the sort of the parable of the fox and the hedgehog? Even if I have, I want to hear it from you, Kyle. <laughs> um, so in as in in short, the fox knows one big thing, and the hedgehog knows many small things. And we think in order to be successful as an insurance organization, you have to be more hedgehog than fox. It's not about doing one thing right or special. It's about doing many things right over the span of time for customers. And the way that you do that is not by building your entire company around that one special thing you think you do, but building your company around a foundation that allows you to do those many things right over time. And for us, this was this idea of cost structure. The underlying thesis behind ClearCover was at a very high level, we can use technology to build a fundamentally advantaged, fundamentally advantaged cost structure, which will create an economic surplus and then we take that economic surplus and we invest it in the four things we think every customer wants from their insurance experience. Transparency, convenience, low prices, and superior value. Those are the only four principles of a good insurance experience in our, in our opinion. And all we do is take that economic surplus created by the cost advantage and invest it in those four things again and again and again and again. And that we think is the fundamental and underlying advantage or like the core mission behind ClearCover. So that, so that foundational... Um, what did you call it? Because I can't remember what you, the 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 the, the sh uh, foundational cost structure. The cost structure allows you to have the excess that then goes into these four things, which mm -hmm. are what you feel is a, okay. I got you. I got you. Now, why don't you think? Why were you able to come up with this? You and your partner and other people don't think this way, Kyle. What gave you this? What What were you sitting around? What whiteboard made you finally go? Oh, that's it. You know. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I think. Let's be honest. I, I'm sure that you have many, you know, business owners who are also subscribers to to your your podcast. Like, yep. Um, all startup origin stories are really just a bunch of post facto rationalization. So, like, let's be honest. This wasn't like an epiphany that I had in the middle of 2015, and I said, "That's it. This will change everything." Right? Like, you <laughs> rationalize the last five years of dumb stuff to get to the thing that sounded like this brilliant thing from the beginning. So true, so, Kyle. So right? true. Right. So like, I wouldn't say like we had this eureka moment. I think we had this idea that in order to build um, an insurance company that could sustain itself over the long term and really be differentiated, 
you should start by winning on cost structure because cost structure allowed you to win on many other things. And like that idea morphed over time, but that, that was the core idea. And frankly, where that came from was probably just being in the room with a lot of smart people talking about things they thought were important. I'm pretty sure I haven't had an original idea in like eight or 10 years. So it's, I'm sure it's, it was someone else's idea that I sort of took as my own. And if I had a friend the other day, just the other day, Kyle, he said to me, he said, man, you sure have a lot of ideas. I said, yeah, not one of them's my own. I'm just the only one that takes ideas from people who don't, who don't, who don't want to do it. And I'll be like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do that idea. You know, no, I'm, I'm completely that. (laughs) That's funny. What's making me laugh too, is the conversation I was in and how that attributed. So you said that you were with American family. I was, I spent uh, four years at American family uh, doing venture capital work with that team. Okay. Oh, so you weren't an agent or anything? I weren't. No, I, we worked with everybody in the company, but I, I was part of the like startup investment team there. Okay. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. So clear cover today, what does clear cover do? If I, if I needed to know exactly what they do, what do they do? So right now we sell auto insurance. Um, we're focused on a pretty broad segment of the market. I, you know, it's a, it's a pretty digitally centric product. It's easy to buy. It's I, I think it's a it's a product that's really competitively priced, very convenient for the customer to buy and engage with. Um, we do some really cool stuff with technology on the back end. So here's an example. Um, we built a product we call Clear Claims, and uh, Clear Claims is allows you to sort of submit the claim via an app and get paid almost instantaneously. So the record for payment right now is seven minutes from submission to payment. You submit it in the app. We use some AI to determine eligibility for instant payout, and then we're able to pay people out in a very short period of time. And so it's it's like a you know it's a product that is digitally inclined, but isn't only for digital users. Uh, but it's affordable, it's easy to use, it's convenient. You know, it hits on those four inputs that that we think are super important. You know, for your audience, one of the things that we do that we're very proud of, and I think is a little differentiating, is we are very. Um, we're very omni-channel as an organization, which is to say we sell our product direct, we sell our product through partners, and we also work with agents of all sorts. And this was, um, there's a longer story behind this, but this was a bit of a pivot for our business. Like we had to come to this realization over time, but um, a ton of our business now comes through our agent relationships and it's they great They always business. need us, Kyle. They always it's, need uh, us. Kyle, uh, I'm telling you, they always come back to us. The old independent agent, Jeff, she's on, but I don't want to interrupt you there, Kyle, but yeah. So that was one of the omni channels. We're talking Jeff. She, all you loyal listeners, Jeff, she just popped in, but Kyle, you were saying, so you're more omni channel in, in that. And so you have your direct and then your partners, I assume like, I know you're not, but like, if that was like an Amazon or some kind of affiliate partner like that. Right. And then the independent channel. And you're noticing that that's where you're driving a lot of your revenue right now. Is that We're right? A ton of growth out of that channel. Yep. There's a there's a, a very. I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the choir, I suppose. But, um, you know, we if you if you think about like consumer preferences in the insurance space, very very broad, like applying very broad strokes to this. You know, there's about a third of the market, and arguably shrinking, that says, um, what really makes me feel good is like a brand I see on TV and like some, you know, something that like, that's, that's like, I get superior value out of having like some big brand behind me and I'm willing to pay for it. And that's basically the captive agent channel at this point. There's another segment of the market that says, I get a bunch of value out of convenience, right? Like I, convenience for me is, is paramount. And like, for me, convenience is like, I just want to hop online and buy the thing. And that's, that's the direct channel. 
And there's this big chunk in the middle, which has represented, you know, 30 to 40% of the market for a long time and has held fast of people who get value out of abstracting the choice. So essentially what they want is a professional to help them make the right decision. They, they, they don't want to deal with the insurance choice themselves. They'd like to abstract themselves from that choice. And that is this independent agent channel. And that's the one candidly, like I'm, I'm super bullish on going forward because the more uh, people like fewer choices and they like being lazy. So the more we can take these people who want that convenient digital experience and give them convenient digital experiences where they are getting that professional advice and the choice has been abstracted, the more they're going to come to it. So like I, we, we are very bullish on the IA channel because we think that actually it'll steal a bunch of share from direct as these curated digital experiences start to occur where folks can really like have someone help them make a choice and still get that level of convenience that they wanted from the direct experience. Kyle, the reason why I love this is because so many people, as you said at the beginning, a lot of insure techs decided, hey, let's go create um, tools or, or software that would help them. And you thought, well, let's create a different channel for you know the consumer to actually work with and stuff. But actually, you created the channel for us. Right. And that's what you're now finding out is because people, agencies like mine that I mean, I've, I've been virtual for a while. I have now because I bought agencies. I have them, but I started out virtual based in my home. And I mean, it's so hard to sell these policies um, when you didn't have the digital means like we do now. Um, and before I introduce Jeff on one of the things that you said, uh, Kyle, which I thought was interesting, you said that around 2012, 2013, 2014, this insure tech thing started really going. I was telling a friend of mine the other day who's kind of new to the business that like I used to get probably two to three calls a week from college kids and they'd be like, hey, um, I'm working. There was a company out there called or a group called The Foundation. And like all they did is they brought in like these college kids and said, hey, there's technology in these different sectors that need to be created. Go talk to them. So they would call us and they would be like, how can we help your business? What could we do better? You know, and all this stuff. And then they realized like we didn't have the amount of money that the insurance companies had. So those calls stopped and they started going to the insurance companies. Right. But what's funny is, is. You did the same thing, but not really because you accidentally ran into understanding what we really needed. Like back in 2012, 2013, these, the, the convenience that you allow the customer while giving us the access to that digital platform, that's what we were wanting in 2012 and 2013. And then they just kind of left us, you know, and it's like, well, you guys don't have the money that these guys do. Right. And then they ran into those issues of they've got the old systems and all that stuff like that. Um, anything to add to that, Kyle, before I introduce Jeff? Hello, bring in Jeff. Loyal, loyal listeners always know Mr. Jeff Shee, the one and only, uh, keeps the industry on lockdown. Jeff, man, uh, sorry for your uh, trouble getting in here, but I think you had a message or, or a meeting or something. How are you doing, man? I am great. <clears throat> Excited to be on this this one. Kyle, you are a smart dude. I heard you a couple of <laughs> times on podcasts, and I was like, I want to ask this smart dude some questions so I can get some smart answers. <laughs> I told him that, Jeff. I totally. I, you you did tell me that. I'm not sure I can live <laughs> up to all that, but I'll try. So, especially with Jeff Shee, because he's a pretty smart dude. I know. So, uh, so yeah. So Jeff, we just been talking about his history. We talked about ClearCover, how they are, and where they are. Before, I want you to think of a question because I know you have many of them. But one I thing I want to go back to. I know, Kyle. You said one of the four things was transparency. Is that where ClearCover comes from? No, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, ClearCover. We. Uh... I had to invent on a car ride to um, with my wife to her friend's house because it turns out that we needed to, to like it, incorporate the company and that we needed a name to incorporate the company. So 
yeah, the idea behind ClearCover was this idea of transparency for the customer and and this notion that um, we didn't necessarily need to be front and center in the insurance sale. We were willing to like work with partners, work with other folks who had a stronger relationship with the consumer and maybe take a back seat in terms of in that relationship if it was the right thing for our customer. You know, there's some agencies out in America that have um, that have been around for a hundred years. It'll be like Jordan Covers Agency. And that's not his last name. That, as you probably know, is an old term that we used for insurance, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so crazy that you say one of those things is transparency. So I put it together thinking he's trans, he's transparent in insurance, right? In yeah, the coverage, right. that is. So whether the story is or not for you and your wife, just use that. It sounds a lot better. Okay, deal. Yeah, I'll take yours. <laughs> Jeff, man, you got a couple questions, buddy? Yeah. So, you know, coming from a founder today is a... Uh two-year anniversary for Kohan and Quantum. So I have Congrats. some cool questions to another founder. And, um, you know, some could be a little bit personal. And um, i just love to hear your feedback on them. So growing up, you know, you guys are coming up on a couple of years, right? And um, growing up in the insurance industry, who did you look up to? Who was your Mamba mentality, your Kobe Bryant, your Michael Jordans uh, in the world before you are in your position? Interesting question. Um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I came up, let me, I'll, I'll give you some, I'll, I'll sort of, I might meander around the question a touch, but like, let me, let me talk to you about the stuff that really influenced me a ton when I was trying to like dive deep and learn about the industry. So I went online and bought, you can still do this. You can buy all of the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letters on Kindle for like $2 and 99 cents. And I read every single one of them from 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 Warren's very first letter. I read all of the Berkshire Hathaway letters because nobody understands the underlying dynamics of the insurance business, in my opinion, more clearly and concisely than Warren Buffett. So I read all of those shareholder letters, super, wow. super critical in my development. Wow. Um, the other thing that I read cover to cover, which was a bit more of a slog, but important, was um, uh, Werner Modlin Chapter 4 which is part of the literature that uh, actuaries have to read when they're studying for their exams. And uh, Werner Modlin, it's actually available via PDF through, um, through, uh, through you just look it up online. And that, that was like really foundational in terms of understanding how insurance works, like how pricing works, how the companies work. So like that was a really, so like I spent a lot of time with that thing. Um, I got licensed as an agent. So I went and got licensed as an insurance producer. I, I didn't tell anybody I worked with because I didn't want them to know in the case I failed the test. But like I took the course, I went and took the test, I passed the test. I didn't get my license because I didn't intend to sell insurance. So I went through that. That was a big part of my learning experience. And then the last one is um, I would say like the collection of people around Glenn Renwick. So I also looked, you know, they used to do this. They, if, if anybody from there is listening, maybe you should put it back up. But um, Progressive had all of their old investor relations videos online. Uh, probably 24 months ago, they took them down or something like that. But you used to be able to go back to like 2011 and look and wow. listen to listen or watch all of the annual shareholder meetings. And I went through all of them. And I think like what uh, what Glenn Renwick did with that business and how he thought about building that company and how they thought about balancing cost and price, low prices and customer experience, like really transformational for everyone. So, um, so Glenn and Patricia and like all the folks around Progressive, I studied, uh, but maybe more than anyone, I'd say Warren and, and his letters. 
Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit NBS Brokerage dot com cast certified wow wow that's unbelievable research wow. and, and and stuff there i got another one since you like research <laughs> fire away so you know these insure tech ipos has been the big news right like um vc and p investment into insure tech is this year there was more than entire last year in the first half wow but the question always come up is how are you guys going to make money? Can you guys be profitable after the IPO? So a couple guys, Hippo, Roots, Lemonade, Metro Miles. So if you had to have, if you had to, fa- if you had to fix Roots and Metro Mile, because they're on the news the most right now for not being profitable and not be able to grow at a great cost per acquisition because everybody got stuck in that Google sandbox. Unless you work with independent agents over, you know, in America, if you want to go direct to consumer, you're stuck in that Google sandbox. Mm-hmm. And that revenue went up 62% Q2 of this year versus Q2 of last year. Mm-hmm. We didn't grow 62% in population, just a whole lot of keyword bid went up. Mm-hmm. And Progressive mm-hmm. and Geico over there standing over there said, you know what, we can drive the cost sky high. We're going to drive the bidding cost sky high. We're going to drive our expense, our underlying ratio high. Can you guys keep up? So Roots and Lemonade and Metro Mile is being burned out of their money right now. Mm-hmm. If you were their CEO in their position, how would you stay in the war? <laughs> um, hmm. Just a softball question. Yeah, I'm, sorry, no, I'm, no. I'm sorry I allowed him to come, Kyle. No big deal. No, no it's a great question. <laughs> Look, so there's a couple things. So one is um, we should we should first draw a distinction between um, what I would call uh, a systemic lack of profitability and a non-systemic lack of profitability. So a, a new insurance company, a new insurance carrier, particularly in auto insurance, is going to have what I would call systemic unprofitability. Right, which is to say that the natural structure of the business means you pay quite a bit of money to acquire customers, no matter what channel you use. And those, those customers churn at a certain rate, they have a loss ratio at a certain level. And so the payback period is a certain amount of time. And so I, I don't make money on a customer for some fixed period of time. And if I keep adding more customers to that pile, then I don't, I don't make money until the number of customers actually producing cash for me is greater than the customers that I just signed up that are not producing cash for me. So there's like, there's a J curve in the business effectively where you are systemically unprofitable at a certain growth rate until essentially the renewal book is big enough to outweigh your, your book of new business. That can't avoid, not much you could do. You could tweak it, but like that's, a, that's like a natural evolutionary law of building a, a new insurance organization. Um, there's also non-systemic lack of profitability or unprofitability 
which is like running loss ratios that are obscene and like, right, like doing things that even if you gave yourself enough time, you would still be unprofitable because the business has these like foundational elements that are broken. And so our goal is to build like a systemically unprofitable company, which is a weird thing to say, but essentially to be unprofitable for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. So the first thing I would do is say like, I'm willing to accept being unprofitable, but I need to make sure I understand why I'm unprofitable. And it's for the right reasons, not for something that I should be able to control. I'm just choosing not to. To your question on managing spend in, in, um, in direct in particular, I mean, look, I think you see these companies starting to to work in the independent agent channel, right? You read Metro Miles earnings announcement. They're talking about working with IAs. Mm -hmm. Like, I think everybody is coming to a realization that we came to probably 24 months ago or 36 months ago, which is like, um, put simply, we back to these four inputs, right? Every, every sort of great insurance customer experience is some combination of transparency, convenience, low prices, and superior value. Those are the only four inputs to that experience. But every customer or groups of customers um, values those inputs or defines them slightly differently, yeah. right? So if you are only focused on the direct segment, you're going to get a specific set of definitions around those four things. If you broaden your definition of those four things, you're going to find some people will, they define superior value and convenience as having an agent tell them exactly what to buy. So they don't have to think about it. Right. And, the, and, and that mm -hmm. like, and, and they, their version of low prices is like, look, or transparency is like having somebody shop on their behalf. So I think we're all sort of expanding like our that. worldview in terms of what these four inputs mean. And as you do that, you very naturally see that like, there's more than one way to serve the customers, more than one channel that makes sense. So if I were these companies, I would do what we're doing, which is essentially say, how do I build my organization such that I can work across multiple channels? So I can hit multiple definitions of those inputs because ultimately if I want to serve and, and, and build a large customer base, I'm going to have to serve more than one definition of transparency, convenience, low prices, and superior value. Ooh. I know, dude. Bring it, it back, wrapping it Jeff, up. you always lead me the right way, but this has been great. And you know, <laughs> cool, you know the thing about you, Kyle? You're calm and cool. You're just like, you, you, you're very structured. You kind of know what you're going to say or not. And I, I just, I, it's really, really, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, dude, this dude's going to be like the number one CEO in 10, 15 years. I swear <laughs> to God. Kyle's thinking, well, the cast, it should be three, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic here, Kyle. We've got um, a very long way to go. I got a question before you ask another one, Jeff, is that you were talking earlier, Kyle, about your guys' claims process, about how you can say someone can submit a claim and they can get it done, do AI and stuff. But there's been that new recent thing that uh, Lemonade got their, their, their butt burned on that. I mean, yep. and, and re just reading an article, we don't really know what's going on. But I mean, how is that affecting you? I mean, can you elaborate on that? Does it not have anything to do with you? Um, we, d we don't do some of the things that they're doing, so we didn't we didn't really have to deal with it, but I think, you, okay. you know, we use AI in a bunch of parts of the organization and, and you have to like, we have some very smart people who, um, who also understand the ethics of using the tool. And it's not that Lemonade doesn't like, I think they, right, right, right. I, I suspect that between us, like I suspect Lemonade was careful about what they were doing and they have a ton of really smart people and like they have solid ground to stand on with respect to what they're being, what, the, what that the article had to say about them. So we'll, mm. we'll see, but on our side, um, it's just about like being aware of the, of the ethics of the tool that you're using and making sure that like, you don't get too wrapped up in what's possible and pay attention to like what you should actually be doing with the tool. It both, again, like I back to our four inputs, like if I'm using AI to give you a more convenient experience, 
but along the way I destroy your trust, then I'm not delivering on superior value, nor am I delivering on transparency. So it's just about keeping those inputs in balance, right? There's a bunch of stuff I could do to deliver on one that will destroy the others. And those are things I probably should not do. Whew. Love that dude. Way to be Jeff. I have, I have another one. So California has 45, almost 50 million people, Florida, you know, 24, New York, 24, Michigan, 12. And let's throw Louisiana out there. You know, all these companies with lifetime pips, right? Which state do you think will be the toughest challenge for clear cover, not to grow in, but to be profitable and keeping the combined rate down? Which state will be the biggest challenge to mm, your company? And he throws Florida and California in there. Um, his, his, I, no, just pick the best DOI <laughs> company. So. Look, I, I think that all of those states present unique challenges. Um, we're in California. I think California um, mm-hmm. has been a bit of a struggle for us on the, on the profitability side of the house. In part, that's because we, we made our own mistakes entering the state, which we are now still working to correct. So um, I don't, I think that again, like, I don't know if I could pick one. I think they're all going to be hard. They all are, um, they all are hard, but what I'll say is you, you get to choose as an organization, how hard you make that on yourself, right? The analogy that, that I, I use with my team and I tend to use our investors is, um, profit and growth are two sides of the same string. And that string isn't very stretchy. So if you yank that string to one side, you're going to pull the other side with it. So if I want to grow super, super fast, what's going to happen is I'm going to yank that string over here and profit's going to go with me and it's going to go in the tank. And if I want to be super, super profitable, then I'm going to yank that string the other way and growth is going to go away. And you see this happening in the public markets right now. This is what happened to a bunch of companies Mm -hmm. who were growing super, super fast and the market said, no, 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 be profitable. And they tried to stretch the string and what actually happened is they just yanked the string the other way and now they don't grow anymore. Wow. And so our, our job, regardless of state, is to find like, a middle ground to understand, acknowledge that the string doesn't stretch all that much and try and find that proper balance in the middle. And to your point, like balancing that string in California and Florida and New York might be more difficult than it is in other states, but it's still the same challenge, which is like, look, how do I make sure I'm finding this right balance of growth and profit? And along the way, I'm treating customers properly. And I think at the end of the day, we'll get it done. So one of the things that I want to add to this, um, I've talked to a company, um, uh, one of the insure tech companies that uh, is an animal in Africa, and they were telling me that one of their um, one of the things that they do, I was in their I was in their uh, their uh, headquarters in Austin, and I'm talking to them, and they said that one of the advantages they have is they look forward to going into a state like Florida. And their reason was is that they don't they don't carry any of the underwriting. They only get paid a certain percentage, like let's just say I'm making this up, 25% of what the premium is. And then they were keeping a little bit and then passing 10 to 15% to the agent, right? But their thought was, is they look forward to going into things like a Florida or a California where it's higher because the premium's higher and that's how they're making their money. And I think he said they were offloading the underwriting to like the reinsurance companies. Am am, am I I right or wrong when I'm saying that? Does that make any sense? I think think that's... Cat, like they they pass on all the cat, and they believe if they can limit their exposure to litigations, then you know all the other losses are just cat related. It's something I, I mean, when he told it to me, I'm like, correct. this is way over my head. I mean, look, there is Kyle? a dynamic out there. There are multiple companies, even someone like yeah, even someone like a root or a lemonade. Um, 
uses reinsurance pretty heavily, right? Like th- there's there's this idea of like the capital light model that's being thrown around, which is the notion that I'm not going to carry a lot of the risk on my balance sheet. I'm going to sell the policy. I'll take a commission. Somebody else is going to carry the risk on their balance sheet. So I don't have to hold as much money in reserve and like I'll, I'll offload some of the risk. This is That is a real concept. There are many companies, including ourselves, who use reinsurance to offload a lot of the risk. Okay. But I think what I would say is um, you have not offloaded the risk per se you've just shifted the direct ownership of the balance sheet controlling the risk to someone else because walk down the like the chain of inference here so what's going to happen if you write a bunch of terrible business which you subsequently offload to a reinsurer who then loses their ass on it you're not going to have a reinsurance deal in a year or two which means it's all going to come back on your balance sheet so there's no escaping the gravity of bearing risk you just create a longer chain of connections to that risk when you use reinsurance. And that's fine. It works. Mm-hmm. You just have to acknowledge that. There's no such thing as like it's somebody else's problem because it will not, it will cease to be their problem and it will mm-hmm. now become your problem. And so like you just have to know that that's the reality of using reinsurance or pushing risk down the chain. It's still your problem. It's always going to be your problem. You just shifted the, the money on the balance sheet somewhere else. Gotcha. Wow. That, that makes sense totally. So – since you were talking about smart people, right? And uh, shout out to Nick Shawell. Shout out to Scott <laughs> Johnson from Clear Covers. Um, the first time I talked to those guys, I was like, man, these guys are awesome, you know. And then I saw the second guy, third guy, you know, you know whoever from Clear Cover, you know, we have had great experience working with Clear Cover team. Um, do you have any story you want to share on this podcast of how you pursued it? Some of the people who joined Clear Cover said, hey, my name's Kyle. I got this great idea of Clear Cover. I think you are a smart, cool individual. I want you to join our team. I got stories for quantum like that, but I would love to hear some of your stories. And you know, yeah, feel free to go I'd in. I'd love to hear yours too. Quantum is a partner of ours. Quantum is, is great. Our yeah. team is uh, teams have done great work together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say every every like recruitment journey is is a slightly different, right? They're all there's like they're snowflakes. They all have like slightly different flavors to them i'll i'll tell you let me instead i'll I'll give you stories but they're probably less relevant than the framework we use let me give you the framework we use to think about hiring because i think it's more useful um there are there are only four things you can do as a startup trying to recruit people right there's only four places you can land and and most people um, mistake where they are so everybody thinks they only hire a players Right, like everybody says, oh, we we only hire eight players. We just hire eight players. We just hire eight players. There's only four ways to do that. So one is you are um, you overpay for talent, right? Like one way to land all eight players is to is to overpay for talent. Another way to land eight players is that you are uh, world class at convincing people to work for you for less money. The other way is that you are world class at identifying a talent before they know they're a talent, and the market realizes they're a talent. And, and the, the fourth is you're not actually hiring a talent, right? <laughs> Those are the four things you're either you either pay, you overpay people, you're world-class at, at convincing people to join you for less money. You get people before they're actually worth that money, or you're not actually hiring a talent. Almost every startup thinks they do the middle two and they do the outside two, right? Almost every company thinks they do the middle two and the outside two. So what we focus on is like, where, where are we falling here? Right? Like, let's be honest with ourselves and each other. What, what, why are we landing this individual? And like, if you ask yourself, like, 
you can look, you could probably Jeff look through your company and say like of the best folks that we have when we hired them, like where did they fall on, on those four things? Like, were we just smarter than everybody? We saw them first. Did we overpay them? Did we convince them to join and take less money to do it? Like it, that, that has been every, every employee in our organization that I have hired personally, I could put into one of those four buckets and like I have people that fit in all four. Wow. That is great how you broke that down. That is really, really good stuff. And you know, and the thing is when they that hire him, really it always makes stuff. me think when I hear smart people and I talk, uh, I, Steve Jobs blows me away on this when he said, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people and have them tell us what to do. I remember hearing that when I was younger and I thought to myself, like that was, that was big for me as a business owner. I had never really thought of it that way. I thought I hired smart people so they could do the things I wanted them to do. Um, I think there was definitely a change in my business when I started hiring them and then saying, Hey, what should we do? Right. You're the smart one. I thought that was pretty good. So that's cool. And that's a good way to determine them. Jeff, that was good, good stuff. Wasn't it? All right. One more question. And then we're going to wrap up and uh, Kyle's got to get to lunch. So yeah, go ahead. Actually, what you're in, you're in California. You said Kyle, right? I'm in, I'm, uh, I'm just outside of Chicago. So I'm central time. Oh, Okay. Oh, you. Oh, you said you guys are in. You guys are we're, writing. Business. We we write in California. Yeah, we're based oh, yes. in Chicago. Okay, so I didn't know that. Real quick, Jeff. So I'm in. Uh, so I'm down in Edwardsville. Then to answer your question that you asked me earlier, right by down by SIUE, right yeah. down there. Yeah. yeah. So that's where. Yeah, I didn't know you were in Chicago. So yeah. <laughs> but anyways, Chicago Pizza. Shout out to Pequods, which is the which is the underrated deep dish um, in the city. So, Everybody's gonna take you to Lou's and uh, and uh, Giordano's, but Pequods is the top. You, you know, I have never had a full go up. Yeah, and Kyle, wait a minute. What did you say the other one? Because you said that there's a main one, and but Giano's. But what was the one you said? So Giordano's and, and uh, Lou Malnati's are like the two big names that everybody's yeah. going to go to. They're fine. Pizza's good. Pequod's is, is like uh, north, just north of the city, and it's the best deep dish in the city, in my opinion. Okay, sweet. I'll, I'll have to remember that. Uh, I'll have to remember that. What do you got, Jeff? So this year we saw, you know, Allstate made the purchase of Save Auto, NetGen, and roll out NetGen Premier, Save Farm buying gains, roll out 50 states, um, Zurich buyout, uh, MetLife, right? The PNC side. Mm-hmm. And who was the other one? There um, are a couple other ones. Labor the Mutual bought out Stay Auto, right? Yep. Um, the buyout usually like dollar for dollar for the premiums, right? And um, there's a couple guys on the sideline. One of them is your ex-company, American Family, mm-hmm. and Chubb. Chubb made a big offer to Hartford that got rejected. And then there is Berkshire. Who do you think is the next to go in for the second half of 2021? Use your crystal ball to predict the next big money to drop, and who are they buying if it was your money? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, choices are there, Erie, Grange, Central, Westfield, right? Erie ain't going nowhere. So... I don't know. Yeah. We're in different time zone now. Okay, it's true. That's a good it's a great question. I don't I don't know. Make a prediction for twenty twenty one. Yeah, for the rest of the year. Um one of them got a drop, right? Yeah. I don't I would actually probably I don't think a lot in personal lines. I, I maybe maybe something in commercial. Uh, here, let me let me do this. I think there's gonna be um continue maybe maybe next eighteen months, and I couldn't tell you the company, but I think there's going to be a continued interest by the very large personal lines companies in acquiring non-standard capabilities because that 
continues to be an important and growing segment of the U.S. driving population. And I think a lot of these folks are ill-prepared to serve that segment properly. And in fact, I think that's a segment that really deserves more attention. And like folks, like for whatever reason, there's not like a, a good premium brand in that segment. Like there's not, a, there's not a ton of businesses out there that like treat some of those drivers like humans. And so I think, I think you'll probably see in the next 18 months more of these folks making more of a play to acquire these like non-standard near non-standard capabilities because it's again wow. like super important part of the driving population and one that they mostly just give the heisman to right wow that is a good answer. answer yeah i i heard that uh, it was only a matter of time now i heard it from someone who probably didn't matter but it was only a matter of time before that chubb and hartford thing they did come to an agreement and then, and then i'm not saying it's like next month or next year but they feel as if that was a good match to be made any thoughts on that jeff or kyle Jeff, you would no. know more than me. Yeah, I have no idea. I know yeah, nothing. I know nothing either. And it was crazy because <laughs> Kyle is all on the inside. Kyle, on I was thinking that you would say that there'd be personal lines carriers make a play for more commercial, since commercial is a bigger premium sometimes. Because the, I mean, no one really knows what the personal lines market is going to be like in five years. It's so crazy with electric cars and all this mm -hmm. stuff. You know, so, I think you might see some startups come together too, right? I think, I think like. Multi-line by merger is, is actually a, a path of less resistance than multi-line by construction for a lot of these folks. So mm. um, I think you might see some startups start to come together and, and join forces to be more competitive than they are apart. But we'll see how that plays out. If too. a startup buys another startup, is it still a startup? <laughs> <laughs> that is that's now we've gotten to the most existential of the questions and i don't know because if i can't call myself a startup i don't know if i can recruit anymore so i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be a startup for as long as i can until somebody rips it out of my cold dead hands oh man that's great that's fantastic are you under pressure to go bundle to offer commercial and umbrella i mean to offer a home and umbrella um it depends on the channel like i think one of the one of the things we love about working with our agency partners is no because our agent partners can help our consumers solve that problem right if convenience to you means bundling mm -hmm. the agent can do that on your behalf and i don't have to build the product to make it work so um in the direct channel more so in some partners like more so so i i would say not in some channels, yes. And it's also very segment driven. You know, I think like if you look at our book, it tends to skew younger and it tends to skew less preferred just by virtue of who we are. And so a little less pressure just by just by the nature of our book right now. But we'll have to get there, right? Like, I, again, like I can't back to different definitions of transparency, convenience, low prices and superior value. Like if you are a homeowner with a boat, I, I literally cannot offer you a convenient experience today unless you go with an agent. If you don't want to work with an agent, I don't have a convenient experience for you because I can't help you solve the rest of your insurance problems. So, you know, we, we're going to have to evolve to meet those different definitions of those four inputs as we grow. So, Kyle, to add to that, though, so like if I'm a if I'm an agent, which I am, and I'm selling you and then I do need to sell the auto and the umbrella, I like to have those together. So you will you be creating a product, you think, though, that will allow me to help bundle that person? We do, um, we're actually working on this right now. So we're going to, we're first thing we're going to do is step into multi-line discounting. So just to make sure the agents can still offer the discount on the auto, so long as they are bundling with a home product. Gotcha. And then mm -hmm. umbrella is the next issue. Like I think I would love to find a way to help our agents find, um, more robust umbrella options when the products aren't bundled with the same carrier. Right. Like I think at this point we still get some feedback from agents where it's like, look, if I put auto with you and home with this company, 
it can still occasionally be difficult to find a good umbrella, like a, a reasonably priced umbrella. So that's probably mm -hmm. another thing we'll have to look into. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And you know, and and it's uh, just giving a shout out to Glovebox. That's one of the beauties that people don't realize whenever we have these multiple companies, right? I got it with ClearCover, the auto. I got the company B with the home. And it's like, you know, and you have these companies saying, well, just download our app, you know, because that's all you'll need. Well, not really, because they have three different companies for three different policies. That's what I love Glovebox does is comes in and allows you to have all that, but still in the same spot. Love those dudes. Love those dudes. Yeah. So Jeff, uh, this guy's got to go. I got to go as well. I got to sell insurance. You got to get back to that meeting and let everybody know how smart you are. <laughs> I always say that about Jeff because he does. Yeah, he hits me behind the scenes. Just you loyal listeners know he's always hitting me on Facebook chat, asking me questions. He always sends me statistics. Cass, what do you think about this? I think he thinks that like he doesn't know that I failed algebra twice, right? He doesn't know that I don't know any of that stuff, but you know, uh, it's okay. Jeff, I appreciate you and Kyle. Kyle, wrapping up, anything you want to say, man? Thank you, so, you both for the great questions, and thanks to the audience for, for listening in. Appreciate the chance to be on here. Jeff, you got any question? Any last thing you want to say? No, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa for an InsureTech event today. So, you know, I'm watching all these InsureTech companies pitching these founders. It's pretty interesting to watch. So, Kyle, pleasure meeting you. And uh, maybe we take up on that Chicago pizza also yeah. one day. And uh, I'll fly in, you know, you, Jason, me, we'll grab That's right. Also. Iowa is a hotbed, as we know, of insurance. And you know the one thing I love about Iowa, and I always say this, it's clean. You drive down the streets and the roads it are is. clean. There's not, there's not trash places. And I'm not saying everywhere in America is like that. But a lot of the places I go, it's like, oh, this is a normal American place. When I went to Iowa, I was like, wow, it just seems really clean around here. It was really, really, I really liked it. Now, it's really flat. But so is it in Southern Illinois. So that's okay. Um, just once again, thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you very much, Jeff, for your time. Hey, I want to just let you loyal listeners know that this is why I do, because I do, and I do, because I do it for you. I want you to be able to hear people like Kyle. And, you know, Kyle, I have to say this, and I mean this with all my heart. I actually was thinking about calling my business partner today and telling him that I want to have a meeting because... I think it's time that we strategically stop looking at, hey, I need to get Cincinnati insurance. Hey, I need to get nationwide insurance. I need to get these carriers. We need to actually start putting it in our head as independent insurance agents, loyal listeners, that there is clear cover. There is a hippo. There are some of these others. Now, I will tell you this personally. And this is Cass talking, Kyle and Jeff. This is no one else. Lemonade made me mad because I told them years ago that they were going to need the agent channel. And one of their VPs or whatever was a woman, she looked right at me and she said, there will never be a day that we will sell a policy through an independent insurance agent. And I was, this was like 2018, 20, I mean, it was right at the beginning. And I was just like, okay, you didn't learn. You know, you didn't learn. I learned it as an early age with, with Progressive. Progressive came out, they were online and everything. But their growth kind of started to fall after a while until they really developed their business model as the independent insurance agent and it helped shoot them off. And we see that so much, you know, we don't need the IA and then all of a sudden they do. You know what I mean? And I'm not, that doesn't mean it's bad. You have a new business model that you think, hey, maybe this doesn't, can work in different, in a different way. And then you find out it doesn't, you know, I think every relationship and every product we have, we end up finding out where it really works and it doesn't. Look, we, we made the same mistake. And what I'll tell you is um, what we learned is, is customer centricity demands it. So regardless of what we thought we knew, when we got to know our customer, we realized that this is a place where we had to play and that, you know, this was a, gr a great place to build our company. Wow. That's fantastic. 
Jason, I'd love to do an episode with you on the rise of insurance. The what? The rise of insure tech. Oh yeah, that would be. I know that's that's a big one. This insure tech is it's it just. I gotta go. I know, but uh, but as independent agents, guys, we've always seen that over there, right? Like we're the independent channel, and oh, there's the insure tech companies, and they're kind of trying to help the carriers work with us better. But it's a different equation when people like you, Kyle, come in. When Hippo comes in, when Lemonade comes in, it's like no, 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 guys, we're not in a separate set. We're kind of actually embed not in bed, we're embedded in you just like it would be with a nationwide or somebody else. And I think it's going to take a year or so for these agents. And it's going to take people like me and people like Jeff and Ryan Hanley who are going to start using you. And then agents are going to go, oh, so those people are for me, you know? And what they find out is what we're finding out is that, yeah, they're the company that you always wanted to give you your client the digital means that they're actually requesting, but you don't have because these other companies don't offer that. So so thank you very much, Kyle, for that. I really do appreciate it. Jeff, thank you very much. Loyal listeners, you know I do what I do because I do it for you. And please tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Cass. He's Kyle, and he's she, and we are out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.